as you make your way back to your seat tonight, just remain standing. Let's go to the Word of God. We'll go to the book of 1 Corinthians tonight. It is probably the church that reflects, the first century church, that reflects most modern day churches, if we're honest. So let's stand, if you can, and go to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 10, as we start a new series entitled Church Problems. How many of you know that there's no such thing as a perfect church? You right? How many know there's no such thing as a perfect pastor? <laughs> wait, wait a second. That was terrible. That was terrible. I asked about a perfect church. I was like, yeah, pastor. How many of you know there's no such thing as a perfect pastor? Oh, we know that. Praise God. Amen. Praying for you tonight. I know I will never ask that again. You better believe that. Amen. Let's go to the Word tonight as we start this brand new series. Verse 10. Paul says, now I plead with you, brethren. Remember, this is the first chapter. Usually he is setting up a few things of, of greeting, who he was, his bio, and almost they're playing what the old school church would say, kissy face with each other, you know, very tender words, but not so in chapter one. He's already pleading, he's begging them, he's urging them, <clears throat> excuse me, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions, schisms among you, but that you be, watch this word, perfectly joined together. That's why later on he would talk about somebody being the hand and somebody being the foot, you understand? In the same mind, in the same judgment. Verse 11, please. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. The church hasn't been established too long, but there's already fighting. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, I am of Christ. Four categories of people that we will touch on tonight. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Verse 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you as of Crispus and Gaius. At least anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Verse 16, yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. One more verse, please. For Christ did not send me to baptize, watch this, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. What Paul does, I'm gonna show you at the end of this teaching tonight, he takes division and schisms, and basically he's saying, you have removed yourself from the cross. And by the time he's finished his argument, he takes them back to the foot of the cross. It's hard to fight amongst ourselves when we stand naked at the foot of the cross, amen? When you take people back to when God saved them, you kind of lay everything else aside. Can somebody say amen tonight? I want to teach a new series entitled for a few weeks, Church Problems. Father, tonight, I'm ready to teach your word. I believe that you have set this up. I've tried to get away from this, and early on when somebody hears this, they're going to take this as a negative, and it's not. It's really just an awareness that we keep ourselves from the world unspotted, that we take a few teachings and make sure that North Walhalla never falls prey or trapped to these. Father, help me tonight that I may articulate in such a way that there would be laughter in the house, 
that we can share stories and thoughts that would bring joy, but also as a reminder, as a warning that we should not stray or divide or cut up Jesus into pieces, as Paul says in this verse. And if we do this tonight, I pray that you get all the glory in Jesus' name. Somebody said, Amen. you may be seated. This afternoon, I received a phone call from a church that's not a church of God. So don't let your mind wander. Also a church that's not in this region, but a church that I know that my family is affiliated with. Right now, Ronnie, they're raising money and this, this, uh, this fundraiser raises a big sum of money, but it also takes a big sum of time. And it's just beginning, it will last the whole month of October. And so this family member calls me and says, I want you to pray for our saints. <laughs> I thought that was ironic. But pray for our saints because in the midst of them raising money, they are about to pull each other's hair out. And they're about to fight amongst themselves. And it's just the first week of October and they have three more weeks to go. And being my studies for this afternoon, I thought, God, I could have got a better phone call. Now let me set the picture one more time. A church raising money for the kingdom who are supposed to be the mature saints of the church is about to pull each other's hair out because they can't get along while they're raising money for the kingdom of God. Something don't make sense about that. When you're trying to do something holy, but your flesh is getting in the way so much that you're about to be a black eye to the community, even though your intention is pure, your actions are not. Now, I'm not judging them tonight, but I'm saying, isn't that just like us sometimes? That even while we have a title in front of our name, and even though we're declaring that we're doing something good, we set our boundaries, we set our thoughts, we set our parameters, and we dare somebody to touch them because we're trying to help God and his church. When I believe sometimes God says, if you will just be a true Christian, that will help me more than anything else you can do. Can somebody say amen? Nothing worse than seeing a Christian bumper sticker or a fish on the back of somebody's car and have them cussing somebody out because they did not let them get the parking place at Walmart. Y'all quiet tonight, amen. That's what happens. And in the first Corinthian church, the writer Paul gives us something that I love. There is not no faking this. There is not him hiding the struggles of the church. He opens this letter up for all the world to see so that we might see their problems and by seeing their problems, we might not duplicate those same problems. He shows us the good. They're anointed, they're full of gifts. They have plenty of money. They established a great church there, but he shows us the bad and he also shows us the ugly. The bad, they can't get along. The bad, they want the wisdom of men more than the wisdom of God, chapter two. The bad, they're suing each other. Ashley is taking Tommy to court because Tommy wrote over Ashley's foot at church, so they're suing each other, you understand? The bad, or I should say the ugly, one son has a new girlfriend. Oh, by the way, it's his father's wife. Now they're speaking in tongues, they're shouting, they look holy, but they got some church problems. 
They don't know about love. They have gift, gifts galore, but they have no love. Chapter 15, uh, Brother Wyclef, they don't understand about the resurrection. Some are saying that Christ did not get up from the grave. They're trying to cast out devils, but they're saying now that the resurrection did not happen. There are church problems galore. So why does the Holy Ghost allow these problems to be seen? Is he trying to embarrass them? Is he trying to show them up? No. We can see these early church problems because the Holy Spirit does not want you and I to duplicate those same problems. This church has got so many problems, they can't even take the Lord's Supper. They're stealing somebody else's food. They're playing favors. They're telling the poor people, hey, look at me. I can afford this. You can't na-na-na-na boo-boo. You sit back there and then somebody else says, this is good wine. This is strong wine. I'm gonna remember Jesus till he comes and the next thing you know, he's drunk in the house of the Lord. And Paul says to them, do you not have your own houses to go eat and drink in? This church has some problems. But guess what? It was still God's church. And God wasn't finished with this church. In fact, God is about to set this church in order and he's about to use it for greatness. Now let me take up for this church. The reason this church has problems is the reason that this church every once in a while has problems because you're in it and I'm in it. I said you and I. I didn't say just you. I said you and I. As long as there are people in the church there's going to be problems from, uh, uh, from time to time. But a church building without people is not a church. Do you know that now they're selling some church buildings because we can't fill them up or find preachers anymore? So we're selling those buildings to other things like gas stations and Walmarts, and now they're no longer church buildings there. Does that mean that that church was never effective? No, because as long as the people that were saved there are doing the work of God, the church will never be a building. The church is always about people. Can somebody say amen? amen. The problem with this church is this though. They have a long show been removed from sin. How do I know that? Because 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 says, do you not know that the unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor robbers will inherit the kingdom of God. But then what does Paul say? The very next verse he says, and such were some of you. Now how would you like your pastor to call you that on Sunday morning? But what Paul was saying was this, you haven't long been removed from sin and some of them were immature and some of them were yet still carnal. When Sister Romeo and some of them, and by the way, they had an outstanding meeting last night, but the older church of God that was here 30 years ago, you used to hear this word a lot. We don't say it anymore. Anybody ever heard that word, sanctification? Four people, everybody else is like, no, I hadn't heard that word before. We don't preach that anymore, but it's still a biblical word. These, a lot of these Christians here were very carnal, not sanctified, new babies in the house of God. But the problem was they were given the image to the world that these things were acceptable. And Paul shows up and says, I'm not going to play kissy face with you. I'm going to set some things in order. And we've got to talk about these church problems. Any of you ever call your children around the table and say, we gotta talk about these problems. 
Now, my daddy didn't call us around a table like we do today, and I don't think it was the best parenting, but it was really good parenting. My daddy would call me around his bed to talk about family problems. Nobody know what I'm talking about. That's okay. Oh, no, we didn't pray about it, but there was prayer going on while he held me by a hand and was swinging a bell. I was doing a lot of praying at that time. You understand about these family problems. Oh, okay, that's all right. And so this church, Paul opens up immediately. I'm just setting the introduction for this, and that's why we only sung one song tonight. Paul set this, sets this up because he understood how powerful this church was and how they were called. But really, this church was so dysfunctional that the man that set the church in order, they didn't like his preaching anymore. So then they come back and told them, Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He has to remind them of his calling. Why? Because they didn't like what he was preaching. So somebody said, you are not among the original 12, so how can you tell us what to do? And Paul has to remind them, I'm an apostle because I have seen the risen Lord and I have a direct call from the risen Lord. His apostleship was not given by some church, but was given by Jehovah God himself. He sets that in order and says, this ain't just somebody writing to you. This is an apostle ordained by Jesus Christ. Pastor Neil, are you an apostle? No. No, I'm a pastor. I'm a bishop because the church of God says I'm a bishop because I am a district overseer. But to be honest with you, I'm really just Neil, or if you want to call me, I'm just a pastor. Can somebody say amen? amen. The longer the name, the name is in front of their name, most of the time, the less ministry they have. That's all right. Paul sets this in order. After he deals with this point about them, he wants to talk to them about the issues. The problem with this, though, I want to be stressed this, was not legalism. This is not about rituals as we find in Colossians. This is not about how to worship in the sense of new moons and old moons and where do we worship. This was not about a dispute over circumcision, which Paul would define clearly to the book of Galatians that we are still circumcised. But it's not an outward thing in the body because if that was the case, only males could be circumcised. But it's a spiritual thing of the heart, not done by man's hand, but done by the work of the Holy Ghost. Come on, somebody. But Paul is saying that's not what this is about. This is not about resting upon dead works as the book of Philippians that we might maintain our, maintain our joy. This was about a church that was saved, full of power, anointed, but they loved grace so much that they felt like grace gave them a license to sin and they did not know where to stop because somewhere they loved God and they loved grace, but they did not hate sin. And since they did not hate sin, sin. They had a lot of God, but they had a lot of immaturity, and they had a lot of carnality, and they had a lot of the world. One of my first remembrances, my two first remembrances of a church are this, outside of what my mama did. If it was not for my mama, I probably would hate church. But my mother, Romel, was a godly woman. My mama would pray fast. She was filled with the Holy Ghost at a non-Pentecostal setting, they, but still obeyed my father and went with him to church. My mama would quote the Bibles. She would highlight the Bible, pray over me. My mama was a godly woman. My first two remembrances 
verses of church was this. When I was 304, the church was robbed. Man comes in with a ski mask. I told you this before. They rob the church, the man does, and goes out the back door. My second remembrance of church asked it was this, that a church was splitting. Edwards Chapel Baptist Church. I'll never forget it. I was about six or seven. And I remember hearing deacons and members talking about voting out the pastor. And while it sticks in my mind, I heard one say, well, I brought my knife. Did you bring your gun? See, that's what's wrong with the church. That's what's wrong with the church. When our children see churches behave ungodly, thank God this is not about North Wahala. A church wouldn't be here 104 years without people walking in holiness and the beauty of holiness. But there are still sects and there are still churches around our communities and our society that they behave like this. They're going to handle church business with fleshly things. And God shows up and says, do not touch my church that way. Are you listening? Gonna cut somebody. You gotta remember what Paul said, we don't fight against flesh and blood. We fight against wickedness, spiritual wickedness in high places, amen. Somebody say amen tonight. The problem with this church was they did not hate sin. Since they did not hate sin, they knew about grace, but they did not know about sanctification. And the church, even though it had money and it had the spiritual gifts, it did not have stability, balance, and the fullness of God. Paul didn't kick them out. He just said, I've got to plead with you. Tonight, I want to share with you the first one. Are you ready? The first problem in the church. Look at your neighbor and say the first problem. It's always the first problem. The first problem was there was jealousy in the church that brought division and schism in the church. So in verse 10, Paul jumps right in and he says to this old church, which is a modern day church, he says, I plead with you, I beg you, brethren, that you speak the same thing by the name of Jesus Christ. Paul expresses his great concern about the possibility of the church splitting. One of the most negative things that a, a community I believe can see is that a church split, I believe that. You wanna lose the influence of 104 years? Let me go right down the road to that barbecue place that just closed down. Let me get mad with you on Sunday cause I don't like the way Joel looked at me and I'm gonna take a few people with me and I'm gonna go down the road and call it Wahala number three. Anybody, uh, that's a joke for Sunday morning. That's a bad joke, Never mind. And, and, and I'm gonna go down there, start my own church. And then all the relationships that I have built with the community and all the ones that you had built before I got here, we got to explain to them why we have the third person of the Godhead and we claim we have the baptism of the Holy Ghost, but we can't get along. Paul knew that. And he understood that, listen, we're missing the mark. He understood that there was a possibility of a church split. And so he would say like he did in Ephesians, Ephesians 4 and 3. He begged that church in Ephesus to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. 
In the book of Philippians chapter two, verses one and two, he said, if there be any encouragement in Christ, any incentive of love, any participation in the spirit, any affection or sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and being in one mind. Paul says in Philippians, if you wanna keep your joy, then you keep the same mind of the church. Our children will not get saved at a dysfunctional, fighting, fleshly church. The enemy will exploit their minds and say, you don't need to go to the church. There's nothing but a bunch of liars, hypocrites, and snakes who cannot get along. Out of this, there are many other problems flowing from this congregation. But the first problem outside of his apostleship was that there was unity being threatened and Paul has to remind them first of all of the common ground. He says, I plead with you brethren by what? The name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Tonight you are here. Some of you were raised Baptist, Methodist, Presbyterian, Catholic, Independent, Fire Baptized, Holiness. I don't know where you were raised. But the reason that you are here tonight is not because you have a good looking preacher. Well, y'all just, y'all tough tonight. But the reason that you are here tonight is because the blood has washed you clean. And we have come because we know if Jesus can do it for us, he can do it for somebody else. And we want to be encouraged. We want to be discipled. We want to learn that we might tell somebody else about the love of Jesus Christ. So the wisdom and the anointing of the Holy Ghost takes Paul to remind them that the reason that this church exists is not to do yoga. It is not to have a softball team. It's not to have my church or your church. This is not my church. This is not your church. The church has been bought by one person and his name is Jesus Christ. He says that the relationship with Christ was the unifying factor of the church. There is no other name big enough, no other name great enough, no other name glorious enough, and no other name powerful enough to bring us together. What can bring people together in the deep south? Well, less than 200 years ago, it was divided with a great civil war. Less than 75 years ago, there was a battle over civil rights. What can bring this America together? I tell you what can, the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul reminds them the first thing. This is his church. Not yours, but his. He appeals to the common denominator to remind them because if you could take somebody back to Jesus, it's hard to cuss somebody out with Jesus in the middle. Jessica always said two things kept her on the straight and narrow. One, her daddy, she was afraid that, she was just afraid of her daddy. And two, they always told her, whatever you're doing in dark, Jesus is there with you watching. And I know that was kind of funny to tell your teenagers to keep them from sin, but it is the truth. This God that we serve ever present, we must be reminded it is his church. So also with this, I wanna be very transparent. If he's speaking of this type of unity that doesn't bring schism, I don't think we need to teach this on an elementary way that we look at each other and we go, well, that means we all must get along on everything. No, that's not true. We're not gonna get along on every single detail. So let's break down what unity looks like. He says that all of you speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together. 
That does not mean that everybody is going to think the same thing at the same time and there's never ever going to be any hurt feelings in the church. Right? If I say Ruby Addis has the very best fried okra in Oconee County, I just made 10 other ladies mad in this church. Now, I wouldn't say that, but if you hadn't cooked me fried okra, it's your fault. I'm working this thing tonight. I'm trying, I really am. But what Paul is doing, he is first trying to identify a realistic mindset of what unity really looks like. And what he was saying was, have the same mind about the same things that matter. I don't care if Lisa wears a, a black shirt or a blue shirt. That's her business. I, I don't care if Audrey is wearing makeup or not makeup. I, that's her business. I, that's, that's her business. I'm not going to fight over that. I don't care if you drive a Ford or a Chevrolet. Those things do not matter. I don't care if you pull for Clemson, Carolina, Georgia, or South Carolina State. Those things don't matter. But on the things that matter, we've got to speak the same things. I can't put somebody in the pulpit tonight who says, I've now received another degree and I believe that the virgin birth is a myth. Now I can't do that. Now see, we gotta speak the same things on those things, all right? You may now put up a Christmas tree in your house. At my house, we put up a Christmas tree. You understand what I'm saying? You may have a Christmas tree that only has the same color lights. Our Christmas tree looks like a hobo. You understand what I'm saying? We've got things on that tree back from 1950. And I'm being honest, you do what you want to at your house. But on the virgin birth, on Jesus Christ being the alpha and the omega and the only way to heaven, on him dying on a cross, on him being the spotless lamb, on him being the resurrection and the hope of life, Oh, him being the one that ascended to heaven. Oh, him being the Holy Ghost baptizer. Oh, him being the intercessor right now. Oh, him being the soon coming king. We've got to speak the very same thing and let nobody else come against us when it comes to the truth of God's holy word. No, no, we're divide churches today. And I, I love this. If it's a college student, it's fine. But I love when people, want, when they really want to fight me. They won't, they won't talk about things that, that matter. They want to ask questions like this. Well, I would come to church, but who did Adam's sons marry? Were the dinosaurs on the ark? Hello? Got drugs running through their body and don't want to be transformed, living in an adulterous affair, hate God, a backslid preacher, and they want to talk to me about things that have no eternal significance in their life. And what the enemy will do, he'll want to divide you and conquer this church by stealing the truth. We got to understand what unity is and we must speak the same mind concerning the same things that might matter. That's why Jesus said in Philippians 2 and 5, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Philippians 2, 6 through 8, who said he thought it was, in, even though he was in the form of God, did not count equality to be equal with God in the sense of being grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, being found as a human, formed and humbled himself, and became obedient to death, even unto the cross. What that means tonight, unity looks like this. We put Christ first. We denounce ourselves. We empty ourselves that why? That we may advance the gospel cause of Jesus Christ. 
And the other stuff does not matter. Brother Nolan, I think it's time for new carpet. Why do too? Why don't you write a check for us and we'll take care of that problem tonight. Amen? Brother Nolan, I think that I have a, a thought about this or that or this. I love what Bruce Deal said Sunday morning. Drugs in their body, sold into prostitution at age 12, they never fight about what color the carpet is because the perspective of the cross is different. And what he was saying is this, let's empty ourselves. Now there was a reason that they were fighting amongst themselves. I'm about to touch on that. And it was a trivial reason, but it's alive today, I promise you. But he sets them up to remind them that we must be servants. And if we serve, then we can lay all our crowns down that we might advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's go to verse 12, please. Somebody say amen tonight. He said, now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, I am of Paulus, I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. And here's why they were divided. There are four groups in the church, four groups, right? First of all, these four groups, there were not schisms to divide the church yet in the sense of going their separate ways, but they were right there at the door. So Paul writes to them, the first group were loyalists. They were saying, Paul started the church, therefore I only listen to Paul. Hello? Now I'm not preaching to anybody here tonight. This is for the Sunday morning crowd, okay? Look to your neighbor and say, I'm glad I'm here. Yeah, amen. Well, I may be preaching to Nancy, never mind, amen. This was the old crowd that said, I'm going back to the one who started it and we're only gonna put our loyalty to him. He started the church. I'm not gonna listen to anybody else. I'm going back to Scotty Hager. I'm going back to Brother Smith. I'm going back to Ronnie Murphy, who started the church 104 years ago, years ago. And what they were doing was, this loyalist group who thought they were doing righteous, but what they did not realize was that even as qualified as Paul was, who I believe was the most qualified outside of Jesus, he is my hero in the faith. If I have been, been, been sentenced and found guilty of preaching Paul too much, but what they don't realize was this, nobody, nobody is qualified by themselves to preach the totality of Jesus Christ. Nobody, and something besides the Holy Ghost. The second group of people were the stylists. They were those who were drawn to Apollos. Apollos was the preacher's preacher. Apollos, we find out in Acts, he would be your T.D. Jakes. He would be your Andy Stanley to the younger generation. He would be your T.L. Lowry, or Ray Hughes was my favorite, Ray Hughes of the older generation. Anybody know what I'm talking about? They were the ones that were saying, Paul may have started the church, but Paul can't preach like Apollos. We like Apollos. Paul was good in his day, but you know that new preacher's a whole lot better, or that, that evangelist, or that other people. I always love, I, I really, I always love when the evangelist comes, and the church would always say this, oh, he's the best preacher in the world. I was an evangelist, so I, I'm talking about my own self. But don't, can I tell you something? Now, I've evangelized for a long time, but 
way, if a man's only got to preach four times a week and he can preach those same messages four times a week, he's probably got those messages down pat. But you take a man like your former pastor who was here 12 years. To me, a man that stays somewhere a long time and you still enjoy his ministry, that man's studying. That man's in prayer. That man who's still feeding the flock of God after 12 years, 13 years, or two years. You know, some preachers, they'll move every two years. You wanna know why? Because they run out of sermons. I'll move on. They like Apollos. Some are traditionalists. They like Cephas or Simon Peter. They like because back in Jerusalem, he was the one that established the Pentecostal church. And then lastly, some said nobody is sufficient. We're only gonna listen to Jesus Christ or the words that he's spoken. While that is true that nobody is equal with Jesus, we cannot condemn though that God has set up order in the church and established teachers, preachers, Evangelists, you understand, the fivefold ministry. So we cannot exile our preachers, our teachers, our evangelists, our youth pastors, our senior leaders who are doing a great job. They still have a voice. Brother, they'll approve it in scripture, I will. When Jesus wanted to give you an account of himself, he didn't give you one gospel, he gave you four men with the gospel. Now the synoptic gospels, we have the gospel of John. And they read different, not contrary, but they give a different perspective. One takes you to the genealogy all the way back to the beginning of time. The other takes you to the manger immediately. Another one takes you in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Four different accounts that speak to four different groups of people, but they all speak the same thing. And they're all are beneficial to the church. He says to them here, why are you divided? These groups that they were dividing themselves in, they have neglected the fact that every one of these three, excluding Jesus, he is the church, but these three, they were God men, men of God, called of God, but not the best by themselves, but great because God lived in them and God saved them and God called them in the ministry and they had a word from God. And when they preached that word, lives were changed. It doesn't mean one was better than the other, but each one helped the church move forward. There's no reason to divide ourselves tonight. You may like one preacher better than the other. You may like one style of singing better than the other. You may like something better than the other. I'm not condemning you for that. We all have our different preferences. In church, we do choir singing, we do choral. But a lot of times when you find me by myself, my favorite group of all is the Isaacs. It's a little bluegrass gospel. And I know that you might find that hard to believe, but I listen to them a lot. We all have our different preferences. But you know what? They all have their place in the church, don't they? The preachers may bring a different perspective, but there's no sense in dividing the kingdom of God, Paul says, because somebody likes his preaching or like me because I'm the founder, or like Cephas because he was in Jerusalem. They all were called of God. Here's what he says. He says, when you do this, he said, is Christ divided? What he was saying was this. He says, when you separate, here's Paul's crowd over here. These are Paul. And here, here's Apollos, here's Cephas, 
Here's Jesus crowd over here. Pat yourselves on the back. At least you're closer to heaven. Amen. <laughs> I only said that because Gert was over here. Anyway, he says, when you start doing that, he says, is Christ divided? He said, when you're fussing amongst yourself, only thing you're doing is cutting Christ into pieces. You're tearing him apart. You belittle, belittle the power of unity that Christ brings. He says, can Christ be divided? No, he cannot. He should not at least. When you do that, you cut Christ in the, in the pieces when we form cliques in the church. Can't do that. In January this year, I'm gonna give you a sneak peek, only a sneak peek, but I'm gonna call the older saints of this church to do something great. I've already heard what I believe the Lord speak to me for next year. And I'm gonna need the older saints of the church to help me do something to the younger saints. Because we can't be divided and we need what they have passed to another generation. So that a Jeremiah generation can rise up not void of the power of Pentecost. I wish somebody say amen tonight. He says, Paul says he tends to chop up Christ in the parcel of pieces. We, we, we do that by our own theology of what we perceive is right. These different gospels and callings, pastor, teacher, they all push us that Jesus Christ is the son of God who died for us. How do I know that? Because Paul says next, was Paul crucified for you? Listen to me tonight, we are still human. Did Paul die for us? No. We have a tendency in churches and organizations with football teams, with presidents, with bankers, with governors, we have a tendency to overemphasize the people that we like. And we set them up on such a high pedestal that when we see one human side of them that we didn't think was there, they fall in our eyes. And that's wrong on us. Everybody in this house tonight has made mistakes, including the chief, your pastor. Amen? And by saying that tonight, we must understand that when people begin to expect this of a certain man, Apollos, Cephas, Paul, we set them up so high that when they don't deliver, we're disappointed in them. And Paul boldly says, was I, or said, was I crucified for you? Yes, I started the church. Yes, I did this, but I was not crucified for you. There's not a single teacher who ever lived who can heal the hurt of a broken heart, supply energy, or be the adequacy of somebody that is in need. Paul was saying, don't praise me. Why are you telling, well, I belong to only the church of God. I belong only to Neil Nolan. I belong only to Bruce Raven. What does that mean tonight? Paul said, I didn't die for you. Oh, I started the church up under the anointing of God, but it's still Jesus Christ that gets the glory. Paul had this unique ability when he needed to lay his Bible down to get in the door to preach, he would lay it down. But as soon as you started praising him, Paul would tear his clothes and say, don't you worship me, I'm a man just like you are. Amen? Lastly, I have nine minutes, eight minutes and I'll close. We gotta understand who our, what our real identity is. Here the apostle makes it very clear the tendency among cliques in the church to distort the meanings of what God was really trying to say. What do they really fuss about? I was baptized of Paul. 
I was baptized of Cephas. I was baptized of Apollos. I was baptized of this. They were destroying the congregation by saying who they were baptized about. Get that picture in your mind. Do you understand that baptism was not about the one doing the baptism? But baptism was about an outward picture of an inward work of dying with Christ, but also being raised with Christ. Amen. They had neglected or forgot what baptism was really all about. I've seen churches die over sacred cows. And when you ask them, how did the cow become sacred? They can't even tell you. Hello? As I told you a couple weeks ago, we don't sprinkle in the church of God. We, 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 we hold people up under water. Sometimes we hold them for a long time. No, I'm just kidding. But yet one of our members recently, when his brother got saved and his brother was at the death's door and nobody, nobody would baptize the man, which, which is horrific that a preacher would baptize a new Christian Shame on that man. Technically, by our minutes, I'm supposed to do the baptism or somebody at certain ranks of ministry. But I gave permission after the fact. You can bring me up on charges if you want. But I gave permission because it was already done. I said, well, brother, why didn't you call me? I would have flew to Pennsylvania. Or I'd have sent Pastor Smith or somebody. We would have flew them up there. That's how important it is to us. He said, well, Pastor, I'll be honest with you. He said, I didn't know what to do. I didn't think you would do that. And I, and I apologize. He said, so I took my brother in the woods myself and I just baptized him in water myself. Now somebody would get mad over that and say he shouldn't have done that. I, my brother was about to die and go to heaven and just got saved one of the peace. I probably would have dumped him once, twice, maybe three times. You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes we fight over things that don't even matter. The importance was not on who baptized you. The importance was that you were baptized. If Scotty baptized you, praise God. I love him. He's a brother to me. If Brother Smith or Brother Duncan, if somebody else baptized you, praise God. Their baptism wasn't the work. In fact, baptism is not the work. Baptism is just a picture of the work. The word was Jesus Christ on Calvary. Well, this church, we only preach from red Bibles. We only stand in wood pulpits. We only have preachers that wear blue jeans. We only preach, read from red backs. We only take ties up in white envelopes. Do away with things that don't matter. It wasn't matter about who baptized you. The cure was to remember verse 17 as I close. The cure was this, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but preach the gospel. But Brother Nolan, I, I don't understand why we do fall festivals just to get them here. That with one chance, you know this, I may not be your favorite, but you know this, if they sit in this pulpit, I'm gonna preach the word. Ah, we feed people, we clothe people. Last night I was preaching at a church. They were on nine people, nine people. And the man asked me, said, would you come preach? I don't know if you'll come because the church is so small. I said, brother, I love to preach. I don't care if you got nine or 900. Two weeks ago, I preached a revival to a church that had 813 churches there. Last night, I preached to nine people in a church that's small enough to fit right here in this room. Now, I'm gonna tell you this, you're gonna get mad with this, but you'll be all right. 
They're trying to raise money for missions. They raised enough money to pay for my gas. I told him, don't pay. I don't need your money. Just keep your money. He said, no, don't rob our joy. So I took the money. He gave me $75. To me, it was like $7,500. That was a good gift from that church. But before I left, they're trying to do an outreach to their community this month to take the church forward. So I said, how much is your outreach, pastor? He said, I don't know. He said, if I could just get $100. He said, if I get $100, he said, I think I can do it. I said, no, you need more than $100. I said, let us give you 200. He said, what do you mean? I said, no, North Wahala, we've got some mission money. Somebody just gave me some mission money. Let, I said, and I felt the Holy Ghost say, no, give him 250. I said, no, we're gonna give you 250. I said, we're gonna give you $250 to do your mission. Let me tell you some church, it's about the kingdom of God. It's not about who the pastor was or who the evangelist was or whether or not we should do it this way. If they wanna take the church out and tell somebody that Jesus still saves, Paul reminds them it's not about baptism or who baptized you. It's about the gospel of Jesus Christ being told to a sinner's ear that he might be changed by the glory of God. If we would remember that, when we do singings, sing the gospel. When we do preaching, preach the gospel. When we do outreach, show the gospel. Aldrey just came back to us, spent two years in the inner city Baltimore. I want you to imagine that. She is a country girl from Wahala, South Carolina. Hello? Y'all don't understand. I was there. Unless I missed it, you're the only white girl at that time living in that street. Am I correct on that? You know what I'm saying? She's not really an urban white girl. She is a country chicken-raising white girl. You understand what I'm trying to say? But when God wants to raise up somebody, I'm trying to tell you tonight, it doesn't matter where she comes from or what color she is. What matters is if God's in her heart and if she can demonstrate the love of God, God will raise up a Saul, a Paul, a Simon Peter. God will raise up a Jonah to go tell Nineveh, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And the best thing about that, God will raise up people that don't fit there and when that job gets done, everybody will look around and say, I don't know how that got done. You will know why? So God will get the glory. Amen, stand with me tonight. Stand with me, stand with me. The problem in the church was this, as I close. They took their eyes away from the gospel that mattered. And what did Paul say last? Least the cross of Christ. And I feel guilty because I should have spent more time there. Did you listen as I close? Take this verse with you. The cross of Christ be made what? No. A how can we be in Wahala and not change people? If this church is truly the church, Ashley, bring them in, brother. You think I'm joking with you. Last week, two phone calls. Nikki, am I telling the truth? Of people calling our church and our members saying, I've got somebody in my family, but some churches won't take them because they might smell like alcohol when they come in. They might have drugs in their body when they walk in. I'm gonna tell you something, church. We can't make the cross of Christ of no effect. Brother, if he saved you, he can save me. If he saved me, he can save Carolyn. If he can save Carolyn, he can save Tommy. Amen? And when the church is not divided and she is one, gates of hell, you're coming down. 
When the church is unified, I may not, listen, we may do it different ways. But when the church is unified and we, put, we keep the cross in mind, we back ourselves to the base of the cross and we say only thing matters is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And we die on that mountain, not the mountain of what people think of preference. And we put our backs to the wall there, we'll see many, many more people be saved this year at the North Walhalla Church of God. I'm hoping that in 2019 that we have to baptize every month because people are being saved so quickly. Ah, let us stay together. May we never be divided. May we speak the same language of Christ and love to all who come. Amen? Church problems. But this can, cannot be North Wahala's church problem. And I don't think it is. I think we all know why we're here, Jesus Christ. Amen? I love you tonight. I love you. Look to your neighbor as we're closing and tell them, say, I don't have that church problem. Go ahead and do that for me. Yeah, I'm watching. I'm, I'm looking who's talking now. I'm, I'm taking notes. Amen. Amen. I love you tonight. You're a good church. You're great people. You're great people. Ray, so good to see you tonight, my friend. Ruby, so good to see you, sweetie. We love you guys. Amen. What a beautiful couple. How many, if you've never had a conversation with Ray and Ruby Addis, you need to go by and see them tonight. These, these are sweethearts of our church. Amen. How many of you feel that way tonight? Amen. Let's give them a hand tonight. All right. I love you. Shake three hands, hug two necks, and we'll see you Sunday morning. God bless you.